Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather round your word, may you shape us so that we might live today in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, help us today to take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, may you fill us today and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Amen. When I was younger, I was a pretty decent table tennis player. I won a few tournaments, had a number of trophies, medals and so on. The thing is, the standard of the competitions in which I was playing wasn't very high. And then one day in a schools match, I got to play the guy who was Ireland's number one. We had barely started knocking up when I realised this isn't going to end well. And that initial assessment was probably about the only thing I got right all afternoon. Because I got thrashed. As I recall, we had finished our best of three long before anyone else had even got close to finishing their first game. Now, if you had come to my house at that time, you might have got the sense that I was actually quite good. that there were Because there were trophies on the sideboard. I could show you my medals. And I suppose compared with all the others in that field, I was good. But up against better competition, I very quickly realised I got nothing. And impressive as it was for that guy who was number one in Ireland, I'm pretty sure when he stepped up to play people from a lot of other countries, he experienced something similar. And that to me highlights one of the major problems when it comes to talking about our subject for this morning. Goodness. How do you measure it? We have been working our way through the fruit of the Spirit as described by an early Jesus follower called Paul in a letter to some Galatian Christians in what is now Turkey. And he wrote, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And today we're thinking about goodness. Thing is, well, goodness, it's, it's a lot more slippery than some of the other ideas we've talked about. Just when you think you're getting a grip on it, it squirms out of your hands. Now, one problem is it can all feel quite relative. How good is good? I mean, I imagine most of us would want to consider ourselves a good person. OK, we're not perfect. Who is? But we try our best. But how good are we? Well, I suppose that partly depends on who we compare ourselves against. And that leads us on to another problem, because it would be very easy to slip into a moralising, be better, be good sermon. Oh, you think you're good, but what about, and start listing a whole lot of things that make people feel pretty miserable about themselves. And goodness is a word which has got such a wide meaning that it's become weakened over time. There are a couple of like, well-known hymns which use the word good in a way that really irritates me. 
One of them is once in Royal David's City. It says, Christian children all must be mild, obedient, good as he. And the other is, a, is that there is a green hill far away. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. And they're both by the same person and they both feel like a sort of Victorian childhood kind of good, which for me anyway, leaves me kind of cold. Like I said about kindness last week, it's sort of more niceness than goodness. And there is also a kind of goodness that can be quite cold, clinical and joyless, that it can become focused on duty and externals. I do this and I don't do that. And it might make me feel better about myself. It might make me feel better than other people. But it doesn't really hit the heart. The goodness that Paul is talking about is something a lot deeper and better than that. The idea of goodness occurs very early on in the Bible. In the very first few verses, in fact, Genesis 1, 4. God has created the light and God saw that it was good. And again and again, like a refrain, that same phrase crops up, separating land and sea, land producing vegetation, sun, moon, stars, to mark times and seasons, seas teeming with living creatures, birds filling the air, the land producing living creatures. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And then God says, let's create human beings in our image. And then God surveys all that he has made and declares it very good. Now, there's more going on there than God simply admiring his handiwork, though I'm sure God took and takes great delight in it. Now, good here means something like, it's just right. This is how God wants it. This is how God intends it. Now, notice Genesis never describes the world as perfect. Even at the end of the six days, it's a work in progress. The land has to keep producing vegetation. The bird, the sea creatures, the animals, the people, they all have to keep reproducing. And in the midst of it all, there's us created in his image to reflect his goodness, to play our part. Things are set up for it to flourish, but it's not a given that it will. The world needed shaped, tended, cared for, managed. And God gives us responsibility and takes that responsibility very seriously. But things are set up that it can happen. So good in this sense is about how God wants it to be. There's a way, in a way we're praying for goodness when we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we live with this sense that things aren't as they should be. That there's a gap between what should be and what is. And try as we might, we can't get it back there. And we are part of the problem. 
the philosopher Jacob Needleman, in his book, Why Can't We Be Good, argues that the great mystery at the heart of humanity is not discovering what's good. It's that we actually know what we should do. But we don't or can't do it. And in that, he's on the same wavelength as Paul. He said something similar when he wrote to the Romans. He says he knows what he should and shouldn't do. And he wants to do the right thing. But he finds himself not doing what he should do. And finds what doing what he shouldn't be doing all too easy. So the work of the Spirit is about making us more the, into the people God created us to be. The Spirit is seeking to draw us back to goodness, to live as we were created to live, to care for, to shape the world so that it becomes more as God intends it, so that God's will is being done here and now. Goodness is about bringing about what God sees as good. And the word Paul uses for goodness is quite an interesting one. It's quite a strong word, certainly a lot stronger than you would get from, say, once in Royal David's City. William Barclay highlights that the same word could describe Jesus' actions when he drove the money changers from the temple. Certainly not a mild action. Jesus says, God intended the temple to be a house of prayer for all nations, but they had turned it into a den of thieves. And Jesus' actions were good in the sense that it was an action designed to return the temple to its original purpose, to a place where it could be a house of prayer, so that it would, fulfill, would fulfill what God wanted it to do and God wanted it to be. But there's another dimension to this goodness. It's got something to do with usefulness or helpfulness or doing something for the good of others. It's not so much about my own personal morality. It's about what I do for others. There's a very interesting usage of, this, of the same word on the lips of Jesus. In Matthew 20, Jesus tells a story of a landowner who hires workers for the vineyard. He goes out early, he agrees a set fee with some workers and he sets them to work. A few hours later, he goes out and hires some more and says, I'll pay you what's right. And they set off to work. And he goes out several more times later in the day, hiring some more workers, presumably telling them the same thing. And at the end of the day, he pays them all a full day's wages. Well, those who worked a full day are actually quite angry that those who came in just towards the end of the day are getting the same amount as them. And they start to protest. And the landowner says, whoa, hold on a minute. Did we not have a deal? I've paid you what I said I would. And besides, whose money is it anyway? Do I not have a right to do with my own money what I want? Or do you not like the fact that I'm generous 
The word that Jesus uses for generous is the same word Paul uses for good. So the key to understanding the story, I think, is in the line, I will pay you what is right. It's not that the first guys are ripped off. They were paid the going rate. But if he gave the other guys less, they wouldn't be able to eat. It wouldn't be enough to live on. And the landowner thinks, well, pff, that's not right. So he gives them what he feels is right. And that's something else about goodness. Sometimes there's a difference between what is strictly fair and what is right. And goodness prefers to err on the side of generosity and what's right. Goodness looks beyond what is deserved and seeks what is best for the other. That's what the goodness of God is like. God in his grace and goodness doesn't treat us as we deserve. In love, God seeks us out and gives us what we need. That's the kind of goodness that the Spirit longs to instill in us. So, where am I going with all this? Well, for a start... Goodness and doing good is at the heart of our faith. It crops up in most of the letters Paul wrote. To the Corinthians he wrote, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times you will abound in every good work. To the Galatians he urges them not to become weary in doing good. He says more or less exactly the same thing to the Thessalonians. To the Colossians, he said, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. He urges Titus to set an example by doing what is good. To the Ephesians, he writes, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one can boast. For we are what God made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. I could go on. There are loads more, but that last one is especially important. Perhaps in Protestant circles, we have got so hung up on the saved by grace, not by works thing, that maybe we play down works a bit too much. Or perhaps we've majored a bit more on the next life and our purpose for this one has slipped past us a little. Or maybe, like so many other ideas we've considered in the fruit of the Spirit, we've come to see goodness as something we need to kind of work up in our lives, that we need to get better at, we need to get gooder. And I think many go on that journey, seeking to develop it in themselves, one good deed at a time. And that can be a really tough, burdensome journey. 
being good kind of becomes an end in itself without any really real sense of why or truly feeling it. And that comes with all sorts of dangers. We can become focused on the externals, the acts themselves. Or worse, we can become focused on being seen to be doing the right things. And if we're not careful, that can take us into the arena of hypocrisy, where it all seems good on the outside, but nothing has really changed inside. Or we can, as Paul warned the Galatians and Thessalonians, start to just tire of it. We burn out. We can start to develop the sense of, why am I doing this? What good is it? Maybe we even stop trying. Maybe we rebel. Maybe we give up. And it's kind of hard to equate any of that to a Jesus who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But what if, what if that was never what it was all about? What if it was less about what we achieve and what God is doing in us? What if we immerse ourselves in the story of a God who loves us, who loves the world, who has good plans and purposes for his world, and invites us to participate with him in making the world good, making the world more and more as he intended it. What if the Spirit is seeking to free us to be the person that God created us to be all along? Frederick Buechner puts it well. The place you are called to is where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. The place you are called to is where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. That is where you find your place in God's plan for us. For many of us, our greatest problem is that we, we just don't know what we want. Well, in a way we do. Our actions are taking us in that direction all the time, although it's not always doing it in a healthy way. But we're not always consciously recognising what we really want. How can we find that? Well, we start by searching our hearts, by placing ourselves in the presence of the God who loves us and asking him to reveal to us the true deep longings he has placed within us. We start by asking, God, how might I use these longings to make your world more the way you would want it to be? How might I redirect them so that I'm using them as I'm called to use them? What steps can I take that will help me to make a full, play a fuller part in your plans for me and for your world? 
Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Trust me. That's a prayer that if we asked it, God would only be too delighted to answer. And if we do it, Jesus tells us we will start producing good fruit because it's emerging from the good soil he has placed within us. Because that's a goodness that's not kind of surface level, focused on externals, something we work up in ourselves. It's rooted deep in us, in who we are, in who we were made to be. Have you ever noticed how things are so much easier when you're doing something you really enjoy or believe in? I don't necessarily mean easy in the sense that you never run into problems or trouble. More in the kind of sense of it's easier to bear those things because this really matters. You feel this is worthwhile. This is you doing what really you feel like you're meant to be doing. When we're in that place, we will be more effective as salt and light. Because the good deeds we're doing are the ones we were called to do. We are finding our place in the world. We are finding our fit. That's the goodness that the Spirit seeks to create in our lives. The Spirit is not seeking to make us good people. He's seeking to draw us into God's goodness so that we create good in the world. So may we place ourselves into the hands of a good God who loves us, loves his world and has a place for us in the world. May we seek that place where our deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet. And may we find God true to his promise that if we seek that place, we'll find it. And may the Spirit till the soil of our hearts, nurturing the good seeds he has planted within us, not so that we become good, but that God's goodness, the fruit of his spirit, flows from our lives. Grace and peace. Amen.